Hello there and welcome to episode 63 or there or thereabouts of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I'm joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm ho 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 to my good friend Alex Collins. Ho ho ho. And a similarly warm ho 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 to my little brother Joe Clay. Hello ho ho ho. Oh, very nice. Very festive. Oh, we're feeling warm here at the Debate Club. It is that time of year. Christmas has almost come a little bit early for us Albion fans. But here at the Debate Club, we are getting cosy as we like to. You can hear sleigh bells ringing in the background. Hopefully the crackle of a log fire burning romantically, thematically. And it feels especially cosy at the Debate Club this year because since we last recorded dinosaurs have gone extinct caesar is no longer in power in rome Lionel messi is arguably the greatest player that has ever lived and west Bromwich albion have also been on a five win game streak run which has now ended unfortunately if we'd recorded this a couple of days earlier we could have lived in the kind of champagne moment that that was at the club a little bit of a reality check recently but there's no doubt that this is a good season for albion fans the mood has shifted dramatically since the introduction of spanish savior carlos corboran the world cup break doesn't seem to have dented the momentum that albion generated beforehand and since coming back we've enjoyed another few games some really encouraging performances but more importantly than that results still on an upward swing again until last night however we're here to discuss it all tonight to get back to familiar territory where the debate club gathers to discuss all things West Brom and I do feel like compared to last season where Christmas time we felt a little bit Scrooge-like, a little bit Grinch adjacent. This year we are all genuinely feeling a little bit more merry about what is going on in the Albion. First things first, let me say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to this episode of the Hawthorns Debate Club. We're so thankful that you lot are really, really patient. A combination of the World Cup and just general life events have really interrupted the recording schedule of this process. We did take a couple of weeks off for the World Cup, we're not going to talk much about what happened there. Then naturally coming back from the World Cup, it's taken a little bit of time to find the rhythm of the podcast again. So all we can say is thank you for just understanding and hopefully being there to listen to this episode, even though it's been a while. And we hope that this is just another present under your tree this Christmas. Please do tell other people about the podcast. We love you all, obviously. We love you equally. But then sometimes not so equally, because sometimes we do love you more, especially those people who share the podcast for whatever means. It really does mean a lot. And it can be your present to us at Christmas to share the podcast through whatever means you can. So on this week's podcast, we're going to discuss the last few games that Albion have played, the ones since the return from the World Cup break. That is the Sunderland, Rotherham and Coventry game. We're not going to go into immense detail about all of those games individually but we're going to talk about the broad strokes and the flavors that those games have left in our respective mouths and we can talk about them and some of our highlights some of the gifts that were given to us some of the things that were left in our stockings from those games that we can treasure we're also going to return to the works christmas do 
and we're going to talk about which players fit into what roles at the work Christmas do. I think this year we can be more generous as well, so I'm excited about that before previewing our upcoming Christmas sleigh. So let's start by talking about the games since the World Cup. As I said, that is Sunderland 2-1, a nice comeback game. Rotherham 3-0, which is a home dominant performance. And then a little bit of a bump, the fly in the ointment last night, which was Coventry beating us 1-0 over the last gasp penalty um, that kind of spoiled what arguably was a decent away performance. So obviously there was a lot of optimism ahead of the World Cup break and people were viewing the World Cup break as a potential speed bump, really, for Albion. Would this upset our form? Would it kind of ruin the momentum we'd gathered? It certainly didn't seem to have that case. What have you two made of our returns since... The World Cup break. It's been great. Two wins, one loss. You can't wave a stick at that, can you really? It's a good return on what we were used to with Steve Bruce, I suppose. And I think everybody is happy with that. I think you see people getting over ambitious after we've done a five win unbeaten streak. And then we go and lose to Coventry in the last minute for a penalty. But, you know, it's nice to have fans feeling we're being a bit ambitious now you know and we should win these games but for me my take from these three games since the world cup is that we've got a squad if you look from each game Sunderland, rotherham coventry our subs made a difference in a lot of them i know rotherham was a bit of a different one i think we're all over them to be honest they were just poor but even if we didn't have the subs we would probably won that one or two nil but we've got dangerous players off the bench they come on and score you know Corbrand is exploiting our team, and I don't think that's been done from a lot of managers, especially Valerian Ishmael and Steve Bruce. I didn't, don't think they really used the team to their benefits, and I think we're seeing that with Corbrand. Yeah, I've been delighted. I'm over the moon, really, with the way Albion have turned things around in the last uh, couple of months. Corbyn, he signed on the 25th of October. And I remember three months ago on this podcast saying, you know, I don't know about a new manager. I think we need the Messiah. He's come in. He's worked miracles. Well, a lot of hard work has been put in as well. But it looks as though, you know, there's that collective intelligence now. There's that team spirit. There's fitness there in the players. The atmosphere's back at the, the Hawthorns. It's, it's good fun going up the Albion now. So kudos to Corbyn. But I think, yeah, to go on a, a five-match win streak, if you'd have said that this would be happening three months ago, you know, I think you'd have been pulling my leg. But for it to come true, it's incredible, really. It's credit to Corbyn and the players, really, for all the effort they've put in. Long may it continue. It is. It's such a dramatic tonal shift from where we were earlier in the season to the present that it feels almost surreal. And I think it's interesting how quickly the expectations have adjusted, like you said, Joe. And we've gone from a team that we would have taken anything. Sorry, we've gone from a fan base that would have taken anything, someone to come in and just stabilise us and narrowly avoid relegation, to suddenly this realisation that this squad of players who we've had for the entirety of this season actually has the potential to fulfil what a lot of people believe they had at the start of the season when you spoke about these pre-season predictions. People were saying Albion to play aside and some of the more optimistic people, including myself, couldn't see teams that should finish ahead of us being in the top two. Uh, maybe Burnley and Watford, a couple of names, but we really had a team worth worth the weight in gold on paper, and it, it looked like that was all exactly that on paper. That there was a that we kind of bought into a lie that this squad, these players that we had, weren't actually 
cutting the mustard. But the reality of it is now is I think under the right management, under the right tactical display with a certain level of understanding of how each player fits into the squad and their role and how we can play football that actually suits the players we have. And that's meant that some players have been sidelined. Some of the popular names of the past have had to take a back seat. But you're now starting to see individuals with the class and creativity, your Jed Wallace's, your John Swift's, okay, your Kushlu. I'd even put Tom Rogic into that mix now. These real creative players that we've lacked so desperately in the past really starting to make a difference. And I didn't think that a change in manager could have this much of a dramatic effect that we could just like a month and a half removed from his appointment date, be now thinking, oh, we could still go up. That's remarkable to me. It's strange now going into games, expecting not just to put in a performance, but to get a result. That's, I can't remember the last time I felt that about the Albion. It was always, how can we mess this one up? We went into every match thinking, what are we going to do? What mistake is going to make? Who's the fans going to turn on this night? But everyone seems to be pulling in the same direction everyone buying into the the cause and you you you've got to say that for a man who kind of came off his own little bad run in Greece Corbyn has come in and worked wonders straight away so we do want to get into a little bit of a nitty-gritty about these games it's well worth saying that when Carlos Corbyn joined us just to get a bit of a statistical context in fact Alex we haven't been there in all a little while but just to give us a little bit of the data and research surrounding Corbyn's tenure so far, is it okay if we head over to your research and Wikipedia corner? Yeah, of course. But, you know, we miss Chris Hall from Albion Analysis, to be honest with you. I feel as though my Wikipedia corner is kind of derelict. Uh, it's in disrepair at the moment. So, yeah, when Corbyn joined us on the 25th of October 2022, we were sitting bottom of the league. We're now sitting 16th in the league, five points off the playoffs, which I think is just incredible. So, yeah, there you go. There's your, your hit. Well, that's it, mate. That's the reason we come to you to to give us that high-level analysis. I think the reality of that is it's not just a, a feeling or a mood that's changed around the club. There's like tangible material evidence of that change that's taken place. So I guess at some point we do really need to discuss what's happened over the, the last few games. Perhaps if we start in the present, it's difficult to not talk about the Coventry game because it's obviously the most recent and the most lodged in memory presently. And we probably can talk about that one in the most detail. And it's difficult to say that the result wasn't disappointing. And I guess there were elements of the performance that were uncharacteristic of what we've come to expect under Corbyn. We weren't quite at the races, but how did you guys feel about the Coventry game? For me, I think not to be negative around Corbran, but I think he made a mistake with the the starting lineup. I know it was a winning starting lineup, but we're playing Rotherham at home, a team that aren't going to come to the Hawthorns and really, really kind of put us under pressure. Coventry are like us, you know, rising through the league, winning games constantly, and they're a high pressure team. And I think having Rogic and Swift on the pitch kind of left us a lack of defensive now of it like someone like Malumbi maybe Taylor Garden Hitman could have added with uh, okay Yakushlu but not saying he got everything wrong because we had some chances Rogic you know really should have scored that goal as a beautiful placement of the ball but maybe put your foot through it you know in the first half it would be nicer it would look lovely if he just if it went in with his pass but 
put your foot through the ball and it would have gone in. But for me, I, I still don't think we played that bad. There were some bad decisions. Passing was bad. We didn't use the wings as well in the first half as we normally do. We seemed to be a bit of a counter-attacking team in that first half. And it worked. You know, Thomas Asante worked so well at that. He's just so rapid. And he keeps the ball under control after he has three or four players. I, I don't know how he does it. It's just, it's remarkable, but to be honest. He's he's probably my favourite player since Corbran came in. You know, he really tries his socks off. And But apart from that, I think we had Coventry worried, to be honest. I think they were trying to shoot from far out. Yeah, some good shots from that Hamer. But Palmer had them under control. You know, he, he did some saves for the cameras. Yeah, Palmer was, he was standout, wasn't he, again? Yeah, he was, he was standout. But I think he had it under control. It wasn't anything that was worrying him that much. I think we had them. I think in the second half, when he got to the 70th minute, 75th minute, I think Corbyn thought, let's go for the point. We can probably nick it maybe with Daryl DK, maybe, a, you know, a header. Because we, as you saw in the second half, when we just went down that right hand side, we didn't even use the left hand side because we didn't have a left winger, did we? Taylor Gardner Hitman, we went. Was it four three three? It was. It's a weird formation. You had Swift and Dyke kind of up front, both of them, and you had everyone going down. You know, we were all going down Jed Wallace and his quality. We know that, and I think Corbran thought we could nick one from a bit of a set piece, maybe across for Daryl DK, but it was unlucky. Coventry played so well. To be honest to them, I'm not going to take anything away from Coventry. They put us under so much pressure that whole game. And they had the top goal scorer in there and he's quality. And we were scared of him. That's why he won the penalty. We were scared to put a tackle in before he got into the box. He had four or five players around him and he still ran for us. And we got uh, he got the penalty. So they're similar to us. They're up and coming and they're going up the league like by storm. And you can't take anything away. We were unlucky. We should have got the point. That was it. Can't win them all, Al. First of all, I think the the atmosphere was like really electric, and um, you know, credit to the the Albion fans for travelling to. It's not the Rico Arena anymore, is it? It's the CBS Arena in, in the Hordes. You know, it looked amazing on the telly. Unfortunately, I didn't go up myself. One of those games, really. I think it could have swung either way. I thought it would be a nil-nil thriller. You know, until. Well, until they scored, I guess. But um, I think we look good. I think Coventry looked very good as well. And I, I think we'll, we'll we'll be seeing them in the playoffs at the end of the season. I think they've got some really good players in that Hamer, that striker. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his name. That O'Hare chap. Um, they've got some really good players there. I mean, if they can keep hold of them, they've got a really good chance of going up, I would say. I spoke to a, a friend of mine who went to the game. He's a Coventry fan. And he, he said about the Albion, he said the, the Albion attack looked really good, really powerful, really pacey. He said we probably sat back a bit too much, especially in the first half and kind of invited pressure from Coventry. But he said we looked quite good as a team. But yeah, I think uh, we were we were unlucky really to, to lose. I'm not very, I'm not disheartened the slightest. I do think, you know, five wins on the trot and then to, to lose for a penalty, which it was a penalty. Uh, I think the player played for it. Uh, so there's no complaints there. But yeah, I mean, it was a good performance. The players gave it the rule. So you can just say it's, it just wasn't our night really and you know move on to, to Bristol really uh, on Boxing Day. Yeah, I think that's really important to kind of contextualise this result that obviously off the back of five games on the bounce, everyone's thinking we, we can take on the world. It doesn't matter who it is, we're going to beat them. And the reality of it is, is Coventry are a good side. They're up and coming. They're enjoying their own run of form. And on the day, I do think they were the better side. I think there were elements of our play that were just not what we're used to seeing under Corbyn. There was some sloppiness, like you said, Joe. The, there was some 
strange decision making some of those lethal counterattacks the ball seemed to be almost like stuck under our feet at times and or we wouldn't play the ball into the right channel or someone would take another touch when perhaps in, in other games they wouldn't have done I think our standout players from this season were uncharacteristically again off the pace and the team players that kind of I guess make up the rest of the team were were pretty weak. I was really disappointed with the left-hand side of the pitch. Matt Phillips looked miles off the pace, more like the old Matt Phillips we used to seeing. There's a couple of moments where he did some really good defensive work, but in terms of going forward, he seemed to be really struggling to kind of provide that defensive cover and then have the legs and energy to get forward at the same time. I thought kind of Townsend... Again, a few moments where of encouragement, but again, just looks miles off the pace of the rest of the team. And so it's, it, it's, it was almost like from the very start of that game, Albion had one avenue of creativity that was completely shut down. And, and I think that was noticeable. Again, I just think it's unlucky. Realistically, I think if that game plays out another 99 times, we don't make that silly. I mean, the way the ball bounced through about five or six players and he carries on making the striker, the commentary striker carries on making that run into the box. And it seemingly whoever it bounces off keeps pinballing back in front of him. And it just kind of results in Eric P as it's a bit of a hack at his legs, but um, he goes down and it's definitely a penalty. But I just think in under an in any other situation, it could have bobbled the right way to an Albion defender or bobbled towards the, the byline or whatever it looks like. And I just think that plays out for a nil-nil draw. And I think even though Coventry dominated, statistically speaking, we had our chances. Again, I think there's a couple of players like Brandon Thomas Santa really impressed with a, a, his display, like you said. It's that role that's so difficult for strikers to play as kind of the lone spearhead and we've seen Carlin Grant really struggle with that I think Daryl DK came on and looked a bit isolated but Brandon Thomas Asante seemed to be able to be a bit of a connective tissue still and bring other people into play even though sometimes the distance between himself and the next player was was sizable it was just not our night I think it's difficult to not be frustrated because we want so much now going forward but the reality of it is is that a point away at Coventry, how this probably should have ended would have been a great result. And it's it's just frustrating and it is no points instead. You know what gives me heart? When they when they got the penalty, you saw Yakusha uh, on the camera, watch it on TV. He was absolutely gutted that we'd given the penalty away because it's 99%, it's probably going to be a goal. And then Taylor Garden Hitman scuffing up the, you know, the penalty stop. Uh, Love that. Spot. Yeah, we don't do then... that under other managers. I guarantee no, and then... we don't do it. And then going down the other end, like running into the goalkeeper and everything like that, you know, all that. I, I, and you could see the players can feel that they're better than that. You know, like they they know they should be at the top of the uh, There's the a league. nastiness that's not there. Yeah. We've always had a player of nice guys like, I think Livermore characterised that. He was always a guy. Everyone says Jake Livermore's a good guy. He's a really good guy. And you could see he'd be an arm around. He'd, 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 he'd go in for a tackle, but he'd help the bloke up and stuff like this, or he'd he'd want to shake hands with a, a player and make sure the referee understands and all of this. But there's a nasty, there's a bit of an edge, a bit of bite. Um, and you've got characters like Jed Wallace in there and Taylor Gardner-Hickman, he got a bit about him as well. And DK, DK bullies blokes. And I think 
even though they're probably lovely people, there's a there's an edge to the Albion now. And I love that because we haven't had that in a while. One quick thing is Daryl DK looks when I saw him down Rotherham, he looks huge still, but he looks less huge than he did last year. So they might I think they've taken some of the bulk off him. I think Matt Phillips, that's true of Matt Phillips as well. Matt Phillips looks a lot less like Yeah, I, I think they've taken right. bulk off some of the players because of obviously injuries and I think that's right to be honest. We with Corbran, we've got to be a fit team, haven't we? From where we're starting with Corbran, bottom of the league, to get up to the playoffs where he wants to achieve to get to, we've got to be a fit team. Not you know, muscle slows you down, doesn't it? You know, it's not gonna Wait, always it? we'll see I think we'll see a lot more of Daryl DK getting less injured. Let's just say that. Do you reckon I'll be a bit quicker if I lose a little bit of weight, shift some of the bulk? No, not for you. No, it doesn't yeah. apply. The <laughs> podcast, the, the podcast bulk. Yeah, I guess we might as well talk about some of the the positivity that kind of led to us expecting to go to Coventry and with a real great performance. I think well said, Alex, as well. Obviously about the the fans and the week before Christmas, four and a half thousand fans traveling to Coventry. You could hear them on the TV the whole way through as well, which I thought was really impressive. So kudos if you went. But obviously there was a lot of optimism following the Rotherham and Sunderland game. It feels a bit silly to kind of go into too much detail now. Obviously the Sunderland game was a bit of a thriller because we were losing one nil, another penalty. It's amazing as well that we've only conceded two goals and they're both penalties. That's well worth mentioning as well. The defence looks pretty solid under Corbyn. And others, considering we as well, we haven't got like our first choice lineup at the back at the moment. So you've got makeshift defenders playing out of position. Peters, again, not a natural centre-back, but doing really well, I think. But to come back in the in the way in which we did against Sunderland, it speaks a lot about the character that's been built in the team. I think you're right. The character is of the squad is, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you can see the impact from subs. And I don't think that's all down to Corbran. I think the mentality of the squad is now winning mentality. They're always trying to get the three points or trying to get the best out of a bad. Like last night, we were trying to get the draw at the end of the day and maybe get the three points. And I think you can see that from the substitutions that even the people like Adam Reach in the past under Bruce has got a bit of wazy, you know. <laughs> we don't know what position he plays. He just comes on and just fills the boots of someone who's tired. And we saw it in Sunderland. He came on in Sunderland and he made the difference. You know, we went and got that, not him individually, but the substitutions made that difference. And that's the difference between Corboran and this squad. Even though they're the same players, it just seems like a different squad of players. I think that's why fans believe in them a lot. And you see that I don't think we would have got four and a half thousand fans to, I know we've got a good away support. I don't think we would have got four and a half thousand if Steve Bruce was still managing to be honest no chance no chance no you know like Corbran and the team and it has come from Corbran have given the fans something to be happy about and invest in and I think we're starting to invest in these players because these players are good players might have one or two who are a bit older on the edge of the things like Matt Phillips who will make mistakes but Matt Phillips is an older player now and maybe Corbran will see that he's still early into his tenure and he might see that after the January transfer that Matt Phillips will be a squad player and he'll be one of those people coming off the bench and maybe scoring a goal here or setting up a goal so let's give him time because Corbran hasn't had his transfer window yet hopefully he's given a bit of money and I just think the team are good and the team have got a great mentality now and it's lovely to see to be honest (laughs) we haven't had this I don't think we had it under Valerian Ishmael even when we're winning it's like they want to try hard yeah, it's definitely would agree with that. There's like uh, with Valerian Ishmael, it almost feels like we were stealing wins occasionally. This 
definitely feels like we deserve wins. Obviously, Daryl DK has been a bit of a an interesting subject at the Albion, but he seems to come back, and this is now already his longest stint of playing in the first team since he signed for Albion. Al, he came on and got his goal. What did you make of DK's goal against Sunderland? Oh, yeah, it's a powering header. Brilliant cross from Jed Wallace. There's part of me that, you know, as we were playing Coventry, I did think if DK had started that game, might we have put away a few of the chances? Not to discredit Asante, I thought he played, you know, he had a decent game. But, you know, I think it all stems down to Corbyn's worth ethic. And I think he must be an excellent role model for the players. And they can see that he's putting the effort, the passion, the time, the commitment, you know, the sacrifice into the club. And, you know, they're probably taking a leaf out of his book, you know, the following suit. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think what's been really encouraging for me is that it's, although DK's performance was really encouraging against Sunderland, he played against Rotherham then. And then you've got Brandon Asante, Brandon Thomas Asante coming in fulfilling the same role that DK had against Sunderland, against Rotherham, where he comes on and gets the goal. And it's something you've already said, Joe, but there seems to be this all of a sudden, although the players have always been there, we've suddenly got this squad and this diversity of talents that suddenly are available to us. And it's strange because they've always been there, but it just seems as though Corbyn is able to better utilise them. And I thought one of the interesting things that we haven't mentioned about commentary was the Matt Phillips substitution. Was it Matt Phillips for Taylor Gardner-Hickman? And it wasn't a like-for-like substitution. There was a definite... It was Malumbi, wasn't it? Sorry to interrupt. For Matt Phillips. Yeah, a central midfielder yeah. for a winger. And it's it, it it's not a like-for-like. Like. We're, we're now seeing a manager who's willing to use more of a squad of players to affect the game at certain points during the game and not just to try things. But we're seeing that substitutes are coming on and making an impact. It's a substitute that gets the winner against Sunderland and, and then against Rotherham. We're winning 1-0. We are comfortable, and I don't think that we're ever in any danger of losing against Rotherham. I think, if I'm right, I think we restricted them to like two shots or something on Alex Palmer's goal. And we then make a couple of substitutions. And I think Grady Dean Garner can only have walked into the 18-yard box and scored with his first touch. And obviously, Thomas Asante scores a penalty. It's so unusual for Albion fans to be able to see a manager that makes a substitute that impacts the game. But these are changing games. They are drawing points from games where we are unlikely to... I can't remember what the statistic was during the Sunderland game, but Albion hadn't won a game where we'd conceded the first goal in some in 20 plus matches and Sunderland hadn't lost. And all of the statistics were like so heavily weighed against us. And yet now that Corbyn's in charge, it feels like none of the rules apply anymore. There's a reason to be optimistic even in pre-grim situations that's why i'm not too beat up about the commentary result joe you were at the rotherham game and you were sat with us we should have had a photo actually with the three of us i think that's the first time the three of us have been at a game together maybe i don't know if that's true but it sounds true what stood out to you about the rotherham game because obviously you live in rotherham as well what did you think you know who stood out to me i think everyone will be oh it's jed wallace jed wallace but jed wallace stands out every blooming match he's a quality player and he always tries but the pure quality of the pass for Jed Wallace's goal from Tom Rogic. We haven't seen that for a while, have we? No, and I hate I totally compare. Agree. I hate comparing players and Mateus Pereira, but 
it was one of those mm-hmm. passes. I see the Albion and some of the uh, the Albion Twitter and some of the you know like the Albion Twitters out there who redo goals over the past. And that one from Mateus Pereira to Hal Robson Canoe, that lovely pass through to him, and he scored. But I think this is one of those ones that's going to be played because it's pure quality. To be honest, when you watch him, he doesn't look like he's doing much, but he puts his foot in. He's got an unusual run to him in an unusual posture but he's just he oozes class you know that like i said that coventry where he tried to pass it into the goal that's because he's class someone like sophisticated yeah someone like malumbi would have blasted over the bar but he would have put his foot through it you know those type of things you know malumbi would have done passed it backwards (laughs) yeah he probably would have actually but you know you know what i mean but that was that thing he caught everybody was running the other way he didn't see the last defender but everyone was going the other way so he passed it back on himself so it was yeah he uses class and I think he won't be played every game because I think Corbran is someone who changes and uses the squad and I think that's rightly so but I think yeah Tom Rogic for these last three games has been a standout candidate his goal from at Sunderland was quality at Rotherham he was brilliant with that pass of the ball and against Coventry he was just one of the players who are trying the hardest to go and win the game or so I don't think you can say anything bad about it, but I just want to make one point about a manager who uses the squad correct and rotates the squad. Previously, we've been constantly talking about Carlin Grant because we've had managers who haven't used the squad. So he's become the full man. He played every game and then, you know, last season he scored quite a lot, but he didn't play well. But he shouldn't be put in that situation. And I don't think Corbran puts his players in that situation. And I think that's why the players play for him. If someone's not playing well every match, he takes them off and gives them a rest and it gives them a brief and it gets the fans off the back and I think that's what Corbran's doing to all of us we, we're not having a go we maybe have a go a little bit Matt Phillips but he took him off Yeah, he took him off you know like he saw it as well he sees what the fans see and he's not going not gonna to play him because he's, he knows his strengths as Matt Phillips he knows what he does and I think that's what you're going to get with Rogic going back to Rogic I think you are going to get him not playing every match but he knows Rogic's strengths yeah, I, t- I couldn't agree more about the Rodrick thing. I, 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 his goal against Sunderland is just absolute. It's so world-class. If that had been done in... I know this was point was made plenty of times across Twitter, but if that goal had been scored in the World Cup, it would have been like immortalised. People would have been talking about left, right and centre, classy, outside the foot finish that threads through a crowd of defenders and just leaves the goalkeeper flat-footed. And like you said, Joe, it's not just the pass, it's the weight of the pass, it's the incisiveness of it, it's the vision spot, the run of Jed Wallace. And also the fact that he's just beaten the Rotherham player as well, like by flicking it over the guy's head. So really impressed with him. And I think, yeah, he's clearly still not up to match fitness. But I think what he does is he offers us an alternative in that central midfield role. He's not just an out-and-out number 10 like a John Swift. He definitely seems to have a bit more of a a legacy kind of player about him. So it feels like a bit more of a natural eight. But rather than just a workhorse like Malumbi, and then I guess Taylor Gardner-Hickman has got a little bit of class about him as well but if Taylor Gardner Hickman is the middle I think Rodjick leans more towards creativity and Malumbi leans towards towards the work rate with Taylor Gardner Hickman somewhere in the middle of that spectrum and I guess now it's a case of Corbin looking at what he's got at his disposable and and seeing which kind of combination of those players alongside Yukushlu is going to work best in any given situation the other interesting thing I think about the utilization and squad dynamics is 
Obviously, Grady hasn't featured much yet since the World Cup coming back. But I expect now at the next few games that Grady's really going to feature prominently. I've just got a almost a premonition about that. I feel like Grady's going to kind of drop into the squad now, give some of the other guys a rest. And I feel like we're going to see some top-notch Grady Dean Garner coming through. He's almost like an afterthought at the moment. And I think that could play into his hands. I think he's not the most threatening player on the pitch as far as other teams perceive us to be anymore. I think last season it was put two men and Grady Dean Garner and Albion are kind of stifled. I think now teams aren't going to be able to afford to let other players on the pitch have that much time. John Smith, Rodjick, Asante, DK, Wallace, anyone like that on time of the ball is going to punish teams. So I think Dean Garner is slipping back into the squad now. I reckon he'll have a tidy Christmas period. Speaking of which, let's move on to our Christmas party. It's that time of year where we've all had our Christmas parties. I work pretty much alone, so I had a Burger King in the van, which was exciting for me. Don't feel too bad for me, though. It was delightful. But that was my work's Christmas do, and I'm sure you two have been on wonderful civil service-based work do's, and you're doing lovely things with that. But... We last year reimagined the West Bromwich Albion workplace Christmas do. It's interesting, actually, Ben Foster was talking about this a little bit on his podcast, the amount of money and the amount of investment that players make into the work's Christmas do. Apparently, it's a really big thing in football culture and that thousands and thousands of pounds are put into a piggy. No, what do you call a kitty? Not a piggy. <laughs> into a kitty. And um, they could put it into a piggy. That's a little bit more festive. I was, uh, I'm late to the game about the secret football player, uh, which is Dave Kitson, all right. I was listening to the audiobook and all the fines, a lot of the fines go into the Christmas kitty as well. Oh, I see. So oh, that's very interesting. And so ultimately, what they're left with is this kind of Christmas do extravaganza one of the things that uh, ben foster spoke about which is a really cool story and you can go and listen to it on i can't remember what podcast it was on maybe the happy hour podcast or something like that where he spoke about how one of the years they all had to take a random ball out of a bag and each one had a different suit in there and so someone would have a blue suit a pink suit a black suit a leather suit and james morrison West Brom legend got PVC suit and he went out and bought himself a custom made PVC suit just for the West Brom Christmas do. But yeah, go and check out. I don't know where that was. I can't remember, but Ben Foster said that somewhere. So if you want to go and trawl around the internet and find that. But there are obviously certain roles, certain characters to be played at the works Christmas do. I was the loner on my works Christmas do naturally this year. But Alex has kindly drummed up some of our work Christmas do characters. And I'm going to give you the character, the role that needs to be filled. And you're going to give me the player that you feel best befits the role at the Christmas do. So I think the way we'll do this is if I give you guys the ammunition, I create the scene that's playing out. So just imagine now they've walked in the disco is going the drinks are flowing everyone's enjoying themselves and then all of a sudden the gift giver stumbles in lavish gifts ready to give to all and everyone in the merriest way possible who would you say is the gift giver the biggest gift giver at the albion it has to be jed wallace uh, for all the perlers that he's been swinging into the box yeah jed wallace 
I think also he just seems like a nice person. You see in Coventry at half time because you know he could have passed it to Thomas Asante, even though Jed Wallace made the correct decision to have that tame shot at goal. He went up to Thomas Asante and he seemed to apologise to him. He seems like he would give good gifts. He's a nice person, a family man. Yeah, and he went to Sandwell Hospital as well. I saw the pictures of that and giving kids gifts as well. He wasn't crossing the ball into kids in the ward or anything like that, but it was um, he, he was giving them nice toys, etc., etc. And I'm sure, given the choice, he will he would provide Albion's up front with generous toys and whatnot. Are we going with Jed Wallace then? Any other offers? Well, there's also Button. He, he was a gift giver for the opposite team. You know, he liked to give goals to the opposite team. You know, he just didn't like to keep the clean sheet. Just you know, didn't like to save. He forgot where his hands were. And the ball was going, so... Well, I see now, you can see the scene already now that the players are mingling, the gifts are being shared, Jed and Jed is in the, the mix giving it out, David Button's throwing them out the window to anyone outside that wants them. But there's one person in the corner who Christmas just doesn't lift their spirits the same way and they're the emotional wreck. They've got upset. Who's the emotional wreck at our Christmas party? Carl and Grant. <laughs> I knew uh, it was <laughs> You know, he's not starting in the 11 at the moment, so he's probably, you know, he's going to tear up and won't be very happy, Aggie. Well, also, when the gift giver, Jed, was crossing it in, he was missing all his chances, so he's going to become an emotional wreck there, isn't he? To see Carlin sobbing in the corner now as he contemplates life outside of the starting 11. If they you're listening listen to, to the, if you're, <laughs> if you're an Albion player listening to this right now and you're upset with what we're saying, particularly you, Carlin, David, and Carlin, we're sorry, we're just having a little bit of fun. We're sure you're a lovely guy and that you're not really an emotional wreck. But if you do want to turn us off, you, you feel free to turn us off. But and you carry on listening. Yeah, yeah. But you have to listen. This is your penance. The next one is a good film, but it's also a good role, and that's The Grinch the Scrooge of this party. And that's why I said button, carry on listening. Because it's you again. <laughs> Stealing you stole, You stole them. You stole them from the club. You stole them from the fans. You and stole you them off the Grinch. Steve Bruce. <laughs> you stole them off Steve Bruce as well. So, yeah. And he's no one's favourite. So, you stole them off people who people don't like. So, yeah. Carry on listening. Right, well, we'll try and start to get into like some that aren't just slamming our own players because we are meant to be adding to the Christmas cheer at the moment. Um, the drunk. There's always someone that drinks too much at the works party and does something insane. Um, so we've got to find who in our player or list of players or potentially more than one player do you think is competing for the drunkest? I'm going to go for... We all used to watch American Pie. We watched uh, Superbad. The Americans, they can't drink, but they always turn up with a keg. And I think Daryl DK turns up with his keg too. You know, everyone's drinking their red wine. Sophisticated, he turns up with his keg. <laughs> Does one of those handstands on me and like they're <laughs> yeah. pouring it upside down into his mouth. Yeah. Playing beer pong that. and such. Yep. Yeah. That's my my man. Alex, any competition for Daryl? Yeah, I think... O'Shea. I just wanted to say with O'Shea, I, th I think he really does relish wearing a bandage around his head. He seems like the type of player where it goes hand in hand. It's, you know, it's like bangers and mash, strawberries and cream, you know, it's uh, O'Shea and bandages on his head. Absolutely. 
but be it like with an Irish heritage, which is not racist at all, I think you, you enjoy a, a drink. Definitely, and a bit of a scrap. And I do totally agree with that, Alex. It does look like a kind of player that, when you see it, it kind of looks right. The fact that his head's bandaged and a little, a few spots of red, and him kind of begrudgingly shrugging off the t-shirt and stuff. And I can imagine him going topless at some point on the Christmas do, and potentially needing a minor injury on his head attending to by a medical team at some point so that definitely sits for me this one is going to make me laugh because we have brainstormed a few ideas around this before just to let the lift the curtain up for the audience the workaholic who is the player that hasn't turned up because they are just they want to get back to training they want to carry on working hard they want to be smashing training or whatever i like to call it the gary neville the the workaholic the boring man, the one who misses the Christmas dude to go to trading. I think it's Jake Livermore. I think he's got it written all over. You know, everyone's asking, Jake, are you coming to the Christmas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hasn't turned up. He's, he's at the training the gym. Yeah, <laughs> seen at the gym. He's kicking the ball against the wall. You know, everyone's going out, getting drunk. You know, that's Jake Livermore written all over, isn't it? The workhorse. All right, well, we'll kind of wrap this up. Um, and I've I've landed this one. It is the time of year where we talk about Christmas presents, but the real gift is the baby Jesus, the Savior born to us all. And who else fulfills the role of Savior at the club at the moment other than Carlos Corbran? I don't know if every Christmas party needs a Savior character or Savior role, but someone who's going to rescue everyone else, someone who's going to call the taxis someone who's going to kind of delete the inappropriate photos someone who's going to tidy up after everyone else organize it all someone who's going to get everyone home safe and sound and that great wonderful person at the club at the moment is carlos corbran in my mind he's the leader he's the one managing it all he's the one that's getting everything ticking and it wouldn't be a successful christmas do without that person so the savior of the Hawthorns Debate Club Christmas do this year is Carlos Corbran. Right, let's quickly move out of that nonsense. Sorry to any of the players who inevitably don't listen to this. If you're offended by any of that, it's only a bit of fun. And if you were offended, we're sorry anyway. I'll quickly rattle off some news. It was interesting, actually, the BTA goal that he scored, that crazy overhead kick that we talked about against Stoke, was it? I think it was Stoke, that it won goal of the month which was really, really nice. And Carlos Corbin received a nomination for manager of the month. So that was really, really good. And although there's been a lot of happy times around the Albion at the moment and people are feeling good, obviously the club marked the passing of the club doctor, Julian Widdersson, who was obviously really close to so many of the players who are currently in the squad, but also to the wider Albion family. And he, he died far too young and it's a real shame. And, and it's come as a real shock and the club marked his passing with a minute's applause at the Coventry, excuse me, at the Rotherham game. So we just echo our thoughts and prayers with his family and obviously all those people who were impacted as well by the loss of the club, Dr. Julian Widdersson. We're going to move into our preview now of the Christmas period. We won't go into too much detail here. My big, big, big premonition about all of these things is I expect us to do really, really well. The teams that we're coming up against between now and the first of first week of January I believe to be very, very winnable games given Corbyn's tendencies so far. And I would expect seven points of a total nine to be a really realistic expectation and manageable, starting with Bristol on Boxing Day. I expect 
Dean Garner to really feature heavily. And I expect to see a lot of rotation in the squad because of the kind of games coming thick and fast. I'm going to make a prediction that we 2-0 Bristol. I'm going to say 2-0 for all three of them. And I think DK will score two goals. Asante will score two goals. And Dean Garner will score one. And Wallace will score one. Well, I think we'll take nine points. And I think we'll be in the playoffs by the 3rd of January. I do. I think we'll just be edged into the playoffs. Not being too positive. But I think, yeah, like you said, Bristol, Preston and Reading are winnable games. I know Preston are just outside the seventh. So they're tough games, but I think two of them are at home, Preston and Reading. I believe that, yeah, we should get around seven to nine points. I don't th- I don't see us losing. That's all I'm saying. But I do think we'll beat Bristol a good 3-0. Preston, again, 3-0. And Reading, again, 3-0. And I think Thomas Asante will score four of those goals. Out of the nine, and I think you're looking at defenders and Rogic for the rest of them. Yeah, I reckon we'll get six points out of the three games, which I think would be good. So I think we'll be on the cusp of going into the playoffs. You know, perhaps another two or three games, and we'll be there. The Bristol's quite a an important game in my household because uh, my brother-in-law is a Bristol City fan. So as long as we thrash them four nil, I'll be pleased. But then I think Preston and Reading will be a bit tougher. I think we'll either beat them narrowly or get a draw. So I'm going to go for seven points over the three games. Uh, there you go. Do you want me to go into goal scorers? Or... No, it's up to you, mate. Yeah. Cool. Right, well, there's it. That's it. We're back. The Hawthorns Debate Club. We're, we're finally recording the podcast. So I hope you've enjoyed it. We're feeling festive. So we don't know what we'll do next week. We'll just take it as it comes. And we're just grateful that you listen. So Merry Christmas. Have a lovely time, a safe time. Enjoy it with your friends and family. And we'll be back very soon to talk about all of the things that have happened with West Brom. But all that remains for me to say today is a huge thank you to you, Alex. Thanks all and Merry Christmas. And to you, Joe. Thank you. And thank you for listening.